Hello and welcome to the Perusia podcast, a brand new series we've launched this year uh, with three hosts. I'm one of them, Charbel, your host, along with my co-host, Mark Griffin. And you've heard of us earlier in the series. I shared my testimony along with Mark, but we have a third host, Philip Brooks, and it's his turn now to be drilled. And we're going to ask him some questions about his personal faith journey and how he came to get involved in this work. I'll first say hello to Mark. How you going, Mark? Good, Chabelle. How are you doing? Doing really well. It's a bit tough now in the lockdown. Uh, we are recording in separate locations, as we can see, um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we're praying everyone's safe. It's unfortunate we have to do this, but let's pray that this will end soon and we can be all together again in the studio. Absolutely. We, we had this one lined up to go quite a while ago and we did yours first, Chabelle, then mine, and, and they were both released and, and we hadn't done Phil's yet. So Phil hasn't actually been contributing uh, any um, discussion to this podcast as yet pending this interview. And we've been doing other things since and it's yeah. been really challenging to get this one lined up actually. So, so here we are now and, and from this point, everyone will know a bit more about Philip Brooks and then Phil will start contributing episodes to the podcast as well, which will be fantastic. Excellent. I'm very excited uh, to introduce Phil. Uh, Philip Brooks has been involved with Perusia for the last year and a half or so, um, but he's also been helping a lot with the Cradio platform, the audio engineering side of things. But we're going to get to know a little bit more about him, uh, his personal family, faith journey. So let's dive in. Philip Brooks, g'day. How are you going? Sabelle, I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, always. Well, we could always be better, um, but we would. Why complain? No one cares anyway. But we're always <laughs> blessed. <laughs> blessed That's is right. the right term. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all sort of adjusting to to the new normal. Um, working from home, having a social life from home, and um, you know, for me, studying from home as well. You say That's that right. you, yeah, you're, you're hoping this is temporary normal and there might be a new normal after it, but it'll be a little bit closer to the, the previous normal, let's hope. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. So it's a, a new temporary normal for now. <laughs> Philip, you're uh, at uni at the moment, so all your classes are online. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So I think this semester we got uh, one week in of uh, studying on campus and then we got an email saying, you know, hold up, everybody stay home. Uh, we're not doing that anymore. And um, they've since moved everything online. So my bedroom has become my, my office my sort of classroom and you know everything else in between yeah it's it's it's, it's been tough yeah it's a global thing and i guess um yeah we, we do pray that uh, this will come to an end very soon uh, sooner rather than later but uh, well here we are thank god we can connect via the internet and uh with the technology we have today but let's dive into your story philip uh, let's introduce you um to our listeners our viewers um let's start at the very beginning who is Philip Brooks? Are you a cradle Catholic? Yeah, so I was born a Catholic 21 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I had a, a great upbringing um, in the faith. But then at some point, due to, you know, whatever reasons they were at the time, uh, my family stopped going to Mass. So there were a, a good few years there you know, in late primary school and early high school where, you know, we'd sort of fallen away from the faith a little bit. and um, there was sort of um, a, a, a re reignition uh, into the taking the faith seriously uh, at one point, and that was due mainly to uh, one one friend, a distant cousin, who enrolled in my school, and so we befriended each other. We became good friends, and um, he was his him and his family took the faith very seriously. You know, they went to 
uh, the local parish and um, he served mass. I, um, I then, you know, he invited me to, to the youth group on Friday nights along with him. And so I, I would start going to that. That's sort of where I met Simon Carrington. He gave a talk at one point. Um, and yeah, so it's through going, going to that youth group, making friends with all of these people. You know, my family became better friends with his family. So we started going to, to mass again on Sundays. Um, and, we, you know, we, we built up these, these friendships of virtue. So, you know, St. Thomas talks about these uh, friendships that Aristotle um, has the, the friendship of utility, friendships of pleasure, and friendships of virtue. Friendships of virtue are those friendships which you know call call the other to to be better than themselves, to grow in virtue. And it's these friendships which, when developed, sort of lead to um, you know fruitful evangelization. It's these friendships that need to exist in order to bring people closer to the faith. Uh, so that's very much how it happened for me. You know, I think some people come to the faith through you know. Uh, intellectual arguments, others through being attracted to the beauty of the church. Um, with me, it was very much uh, through relationships with different people that I started to take my faith seriously. I definitely had a solid um, upbringing. You know, my, my grandparents were very faithful Catholics. Um, they would take me to, to weekday mass during the school holidays when I would stay with them. And that's, you know, where I learned to start serving mass with my grandfather. Um, and so, you know, that, that the roots of the faith have always been there, but it wasn't until you start having these, these real relationships with people who take the faith seriously that you start to sort of take it seriously as well. We are very good. Yeah, that's right. Good friends with Simon and, uh, you can't, uh, pick a better, a friendship of virtue with someone like that. He's, he's a great, great example. But uh, how old were you at the time when you started serving? So originally, um, oh, I would have been in primary school, really young. Um, okay. But I didn't really know much about what it meant. I was just doing it because, mm. you know, my, my nanu, my grandfather sort of uh, got me to do it with him. He was an acolyte as well. It was after I started going uh, back to mass that I started serving again. Uh, that would have been when I was about 16 or 17, I think. Yeah, tell us about um, then as, I guess, do you remember the day? Do you, is it a moment or as you said, it was through friendships, but was it something that was gradual over time or was there a moment you do remember where, wow, um, my faith is so important. When did it take you to that next level that it became real for you? Yeah, I think um, sort of after going back to confession after a long time, um, that was really, the moment that I started taking things very seriously again, I started going to more weekday masses, um, going to adoration, you know, things that, you know, even only a year before that point, I would have thought, you know, is totally, totally crazy. Um, it was very shortly after that, that I went to my first Immaculata mission school, you know, going down to Tasmania for 10 days and leaving my phone behind, you know, um, it was, would have been totally, um, unheard of, for me, um, even a year before that point. And so it was really in that time, and that I think would have been around the same time I sort of started serving Mass as well. Um, what prompted I, you to the mission school? Was it someone that, that invited you or did you read up on that yourself and you, you thought that sounded appealing? What actually prompted you to go down to that? And can you tell us a bit about 
the mission schools themselves and what's involved in that. Yeah. So again, it was through um, relationships and good friendships. One of the religious brothers who was at our parish um, after he left the order um, became good friends with me and he invited me to go down to this mission school. He said it was, you know, he'd been on many retreats during his time as a Pauline and he said that this retreat was better than all of them, you know. So um, that sort of, you know, I, I didn't have a job at the time, so I couldn't afford to go down there. And I said to God, you know, if you find me a job before December so I can start saving up and go, go on this mission school, then I'll go. And so very quickly I found a job. <laughs> and uh, so my decision was made for me. Um, I went down there not really knowing too much of what to expect other than the fact that um, you don't have your phone for 10 days. I'd never really been on a retreat before. You know, I, I was a bit hesitant about this whole, you know, not having your phone, not being able to check Facebook or talk to your family. Mum was very worried, but, <laughs> you know, um, I went down there and, and it was incredible. You know, you find that you start speaking to people who are in front of you rather than people that are in your phone when you don't have it, you know, sitting down over dinner with people for 10 days. There are about 120 people there the first time I went. And by the end of the 10 days, you know, every single one of them's name and you've almost had a good conversation with every single one of them as well. So it's, it's incredible how uh, not being constantly distracted by the device in your pocket uh, can lead you to have um, much more real relationships with those that are right there in front of you. And that's not to say that these devices aren't useful and that's not to say that the technology itself isn't useful, but we are so, uh, I suppose, focused on the technology, on the device, on the connectivity that we do forget that there are real people around us. And even now at this point where we're recording this, we're having to do this using technology. What a fantastic mm -hmm. tool we have to be able to continue. But it is also a distraction. Um, and... For you and your generation, I suppose you could say you're half a generation behind Shabelle and myself. And when we were growing up, the, the, the mobile technology was becoming a thing and, and you could see technology increasing at speed. But you, you're half a generation behind us again. You were born into technology. So that would be a massive thing for you to give away. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. And, um, and it was confronting, especially the first few days. Um, I struggled with it a little bit, but... Uh, by the end of the retreat, by the end of the 10 days, I didn't want my phone back. You know, it's, it's incredible. And so many other people will tell you exactly the same thing who've been to mission schools that, you know, you don't want to go back to the real world after spending 10 days on retreat. And that can be said of any retreat, but um, in a special way, you know, the abstaining from technology for 10 days um, makes you realize um, how much you don't actually need to be constantly connected so true. I was uh, privileged to experience this retreat in Toowoomba this year, uh, the 10 days. And it, it, I know what you're saying, uh, you know, you have to put your phone down. But, but it was such a, a moving experience to see so many young people uh, taking their faith seriously, um, really opening up, uh, being vulnerable, if you like, sharing um, their struggles. And, and you can see that, wow, you're not alone in this world. You're seeing other people your age. Um, really wanting to know more, wanting to deepen their faith. And it, it is very, very inspiring. Uh, it was inspiring for me after all these years 
uh, being to so many talks and retreats um, to experience that, I thought it was quite special. So I highly uh, recommend anyone to go to these these uh, summer schools with the Immaculata Sisters. But the, t- tell us, so post-retreat, so now I guess this is, uh, would you say, a turning point or a reawakening um, at the end of this retreat? What did you end up doing after that? Yeah, the retreat was, um, it really was um, something that took my faith to that next level. So, you know, every day at the mission school, you start with, you know, about one and a half hours before the Blessed Sacrament saying the rosary. So you develop these really great habits um, that then, God willing, follow you along uh, into your daily life after you get back. And that, um, thank God, was the case to an extent for me. Um, I developed a much greater love of the Eucharist, um, which, you know, through also serving at Mass, you know, it's amazing, you know, the, the great love that you you develop for the holy mass it's sort of like a like a snowball you know the more you learn the more you want to learn the more you you know the more you can love it um but it was very shortly after that retreat that i i started at university um so i enrolled at uts and you know i very quickly got involved with the catholic society on campus so you know there was a dominican presence there um but the thing that that struck me most of all was that there were so many other young, like-minded Catholics um, doing a very similar thing to me, um, you know, studying at uni, whatever they were studying. I think in my first year at uni, I possibly spent just as much, if not more time at CathSoc events than in my actual classes. And I don't regret it, you know? I think it was uh, <laughs> very, very well worth the time because these friendships that you develop with these people, again, it all comes back to these relationships that you have, you know, they're, they're friendships that last uh, for your whole life, or at least for me, they've lasted the last four years for sure. Um, but I think it's one of the greatest things that Cardinal Pell did while he was in Sydney is investing in and developing these university chaplaincies at the universities in Sydney, because I think it's um, at this time in young people's lives where they'll either keep the faith for the rest of their lives or they'll fall away from practicing. And that's sort of where they'll, they'll end up. More often than not, I think this is the case. But um, Have you seen people that, that you have associated with throughout your university life that were fairly solo Catholics when they started but were affected the other way by university lifestyle and have completely fallen away? Or is it just the circle of friends you've kept? Has that been, they've basically kept each other going? Yeah, I, I generally find the flip side more often than not, at least in my circle of friends. I don't doubt that um, what you're saying happens, um, but I think fairly solid Catholics coming into university would seek out the Catholic society um, and then they would, well, yeah, I mean, they, they may fall into our circle of friends into the Catholic society and then, you know, continue on to have a, a strong faith life. But, you know, indeed, I see, I see many people who, you know, perhaps went to Catholic schools who are Catholic um, and, you know, you see them on O-Day, they're going around looking at all the different societies and clubs they can join and, um, you know, they, they just walk on past the Catholic society. You know, they, they might stop and, and say hi because they feel that Catholic guilt, that obligation to sort of um, stop and say hello. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, you ask them, oh, you know, where did you go to school and all that sort of stuff? And they'll tell you that they went to a Catholic school and then, you know, that's all you see of them for the rest of the year. 
Um, and it's, it's sad um, because all of these people that you see walking around um, on O'Day on campus, you know, it struck me one day walking from, from the train station to, to the university that you know, and it's, it's so busy walking from Central to Broadway. You know, all of these people that you see walking along, every single one of them has a soul that will last for eternity. And they're going to spend that eternity either in one of two places, either in heaven or hell. There's no other options. Okay, there's no way out of, of those two ends to the roads. And that really drives my passion for working with the Catholic societies and, and my love for, for bringing people to the faith. So what, what's your role with the Catholic Society currently at, at UTS? At UTS, I'm currently the president um, of the Catholic Society. And so, yeah, that just involves sort of wrangling the team, um, looking after them, making sure that we put on some events that will get people engaged. Because, um, yeah, as we know with very much experience from running events in Perusia, uh, it takes a lot more than just advertising things online to get people to to come to events, you really need to, you know, shove these things in their faces and they have to be good quality things that you're shoving in their faces so that they uh, feel like they might be inclined to come. But yeah, uh, man. Yeah, this, this is interesting. The, the events, tell us a bit more for those who don't know what the chaplaincy is, these, um, and the Catholic society. Um, I guess the difference between the two and then, uh, what types of events specifically are we are we talking about on campus? Yeah, so there's generally three three bodies that offer services to Catholics in the the tertiary education world. So you've got the the individual Catholic societies at each university. So at each university, generally, you've got all all your different societies. You've got you know your beer society, your dog lovers society, and we've got the Catholic society. That's the thing that I'm the president of. You've got your Catholic chaplaincies run by the Archdiocese in Sydney, which are at UTS, Macquarie University, UNSW, and uh, Sydney University. And so they're staffed by people who the Archdiocese hires, and often they'll have a chaplain as well to say mass for them and offer other, you know, spiritual good stuff. And then you have the Australian Catholic Students Association, which is a national body of uh, Catholic students. Uh, their main event every year is a national conference, which they run. And that sort of connects all the, all the different Catholic students around the country um, in knowing that they're not alone in standing up for the truth on their campus um, and that they, have, that they have friends all around Australia that are doing the same thing as them. The society and the chaplaincies um, both offer regular events on campus. So I mentioned things like uh, daily mass on campus. They offer different Bible studies, different discussion groups, you know, men's nights and women's nights and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, if, if you are a Catholic student, I would uh, really encourage you to get involved um, in your Catholic society on campus. And if one isn't there that's very established, I would encourage you to try and find other Catholics on your campus who have a desire for these things and go to your diocese and ask them uh, that they invest in you. Uh, because, yeah, like I said earlier, it's, it's really at this time that people will practice the faith or they won't practice the faith for the rest of their lives. And so it's, it's very important. And we're very, very lucky uh, in Sydney to have these good established Catholic societies. One of the great events that's run throughout the year is the mid-year retreat. Unfortunately, this year it's had to be postponed due to the, 
the little plague that we have. We are uh, postponed the middle of the year, or you've postponed the retreat. The retreat, the <laughs> retreat, Mark. It's been postponed. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's crazy. It's the the first time in I don't know how many years that it won't be running. But such is the case with so many other things. Mm. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, a lot of students who you know might sort of be coming to the Catholic Society throughout the year for for the friendship element. They come to this retreat, and um, yeah, they they have such a good time. It's um, it's a really good introduction to taking your faith more seriously. Sort of like that Immaculata Mission School that we were talking about earlier. That's fantastic. It sounds like um, there's so much action normally uh, outside of this lockdown, but normally uh, yeah, life on campus is very vibrant, and you've really built some strong friendships. Um, tell us then, why don't we uh, move into the space where? You got involved. I mean, you also um, got involved uh, outside of the university in, in other different apostolates. You want to touch on that as well? Yeah. So I think through developing this great love of the Eucharist, um, first in the context of the mission school and then through serving Mass, through being exposed to um, the liturgical diversity of the church in university, um, and outside of university as well, as I sort of began to take my faith more seriously, I came across the uh, the extraordinary form of the mass, um, which, yeah, I, <laughs> I I hadn't really heard about until I was on a Catholic Answers forum one day, and I saw somebody mention this extraordinary form. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And so I kept Googling it, and, you know, you know it seemed cool, um, but I didn't pay much notice to it. I saw it advertised at a parish near my house. Um, it was on first Thursday nights every month. And so I went along one time and the, it struck me straight away as something that was completely otherworldly. Um, but at the same time, seeing the Mass in that context helped me to understand and appreciate the ordinary form of the Mass that I was so used to in a totally different way. Um, you know, you can see why the priests make certain gestures, why we say certain things and stand in certain ways and we do different things at different times. It, um, it sort of unlocks a whole lot um, about, you know, the reasons behind what happens in the Mass um, to see it in that context. Um, yeah, it was, it was really amazing, really profound, and I, yeah. I really loved it. It's great. Um those realizations you're talking about as a such at such a young age to appreciate the mass to that degree. And, and I'm, and I'm happy to hear that it's helped in both forms, the ordinary form and the extraordinary form, your understanding of what the mass is. That's quite beautiful. Mark, sorry. No, I was just going to say the same thing. I find it interesting that, that you make the link back from the extraordinary form to the ordinary form mass, because you hear from so many people these days that um, the, the, the mass itself has been completely destroyed. And, and to a certain extent with the way um, uh, masses are celebrated, you can understand that, that thinking, but you were able to see the ordinary form of the mass come alive having witnessed the extraordinary form. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely does unlock a lot, of, um, a lot of the meaning behind the mass. I think that can even happen apart from the old, right, if people you know, look into the mass themselves. But certainly um, in the context of, going to the the old mass it um sort of makes a lot more apparent why certain things happen you know like why the priest makes certain gestures over the eucharist at different points in the eucharistic prayer um you know 
some things might have been lost in the translation from the old mass to the new mass, but in the old mass, it's all there. And so you sort of see the, the fullness of uh, how, how it once was and why, oh, you know, that, that makes sense now. So there's, you know, why he holds his fingers in different ways and, you know, the, the different postures the and slightest, stuff. The slightest different change in certain gestures as well can add a whole more profound, deeper profound meaning to it, can't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, nothing is wasted. No word is wasted. Um, all of all of the gestures in the Mass, all of the rubrics, all of the, the words that are written in the Missal um, were all put there intentionally. You know, it was crafted um, and organically developed and perfected over centuries. And, um, yeah, so there's so much richness that you can get from meditating on the Holy Mass. Um, every word of it has a great spiritual unction. But, you know, after being exposed to it, you know, on those first Thursday nights, um, in the parish near my house, I sort of discovered that there were other places near me that celebrated it more often. And so I started going to them and it was a very slow, uh, process, you know, very sort of organic attraction towards the old rite that led me, um, to sort of where I am now, which is, um, attending the, the old mass, uh, every Sunday and during the week as well. Here's a question yeah. for you. When you go from you, you regularly attend the extraordinary four masses now when you go to a Novus Ordo Mass do you yourself feel like this is lacking do you feel like this is complete how do you actually feel when you go back to the Novus Ordo Mass Mark that's a it's a good question um and I think I, before I answer it I'd like to make a distinction on how somebody should feel attending Holy Mass versus how I do feel um, I think sort of the correct response to attending any mass is, you know, a, a great sense of awe and love for the Eucharist because that's what the mass is about, you know? Uh, but I think, yeah, sometimes due to our fallen human nature, um, myself, you know, I, I tend to sort of see in, um, in the new mass and a lot of things that I see, oh, you know, this has been taken out here and, you know, that isn't how it once was, even though um, it's still the mass, that there are things that have changed that I think aren't as, aren't as edifying or aren't as conducive to a fruitful prayer as they are in the old mass. And, yeah, I, I speak to people um, and, and, you know, some of them, will say the same thing that, you know, that's all that they can think of when they're going to the, the Novus Ordo. But yeah, I think if you're in a situation where you are attending the Holy Mass, you should really um, just focus on, on the goods that are there um, and not you know, really worry so much, at least while you're in there, while you're in the moment, not worry so much about what isn't there, what's lacking, but um, yeah, it's a, it's and just to, to clarify the question, I suppose, as well, it's how we feel at Mass is not why we go to Mass. We're not going to Mass to come away with that warm, fuzzy feeling, oh, that was nice, wasn't it? But that's, that, that's not obviously the intention to go to Mass. But we, if we are paying attention, we can very easily see liturgical abuses or, or things that aren't quite right. And surely, I suppose, in that instance, we are able to feel disappointed or I don't really quite know how to word it, but obviously, like I'm saying, it's not what we feel that's ultimately what's important, but it does affect us. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, don't like going to the, the old mass usually for three main reasons. They say that, you know, they can't understand anything, that the priest turns their back on them and that there's no active participation, you know, but, um, Pope Pius XII in his encyclical Mediator Day explains that the mass has four ends. So adoration, thanksgiving, atonement, and petition. And if you notice, none of those ends have anything to do with, uh, you know, they're, they're not directed towards the people. They're all directed towards God. And so you're right in saying that, you know, it doesn't matter about our feelings when we're attending mass. Um, what matters is, you know, the fact that we are giving praise and adoration, thanksgiving, and petition to God. Um, and so, you know, and people say they can't understand everything. If you, if you start going to the old mass, you know, regularly, you understand things just as well as you do the new mass. It's um, how Catholics had attended mass for, you know, over 1200 years, um, what, quite a bit over 1200 years. And, you know, it's, it's just very, very natural after you sort of get used to it. Um, it's yeah. not a conversation with the priest, ultimately. The priest isn't there to have a conversation with the, the congregation. That's right. He's there speaking on behalf of the congregation. I know a priest in Melbourne who was, who was celebrating a Nova Sordo Mass once, and, and after Mass, a woman came up to him and said, Father, can you, can you speak up through Mass? We can't always hear you very well. And he just said to her, but I'm not actually speaking to you. And just to make the point that it's not him having a conversation with her, it's he's leading the... I suppose the worship side of as uh, the worship aspect of it. He's he's leading the congregation, speaking on their behalf. And well, yeah, that's, I found that 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 a really interesting interaction that he had with that woman, just to to put everything in perspective. Yeah, that's right. I think if somebody walked into a a Novus Ordo Mass for the first time as well, they wouldn't really understand a whole lot either. So you know, it's more than just uh, speaking in English that will make people understand what goes on in Mass. You know, I think it's also sad to say, though, that if someone walked into a Nova Sordo Mass every week, every Sunday, for the first 15, 20 years of their life, they still might not necessarily understand everything very well um, because there's such a, a lack of understanding of what's actually there and happening. And, and people that we, we have the resource at Perusia, uh, Scott Hahn's resource, The Lamb's Supper, mm. and people read that or listen to the audio version of that and, and the response they give is, I, I never understood how much was actually happening and, and the importance of what's actually happening in Mass. And I go to Mass every week. So, yeah, we really do need to increase the, the education around what is actually going on at a Mass. That's right, yeah. Um, I think... The words out of my mouth, Mark, that's, that's spot on. We need to educate, re-educate our culture today, especially starting with young adults and teenagers and, and even little ones. Uh, and if we can do that, uh, people will appreciate what is going on at the Mass. It's heaven on earth, literally... We're participating in something greater than, than we can imagine. Um, it's not just a performance or a, a, a concert that you're going to. It's, it's actually uh, it's worship and it is the priest leading in, in that worship and we participate through the priest, uh, the sacrifice. Yeah, that's There's right. so much misunderstanding out there. As one of our good friends said, you know, the problem in the church in the, the 60s and 50s wasn't you know, a, a problem with the liturgy or a problem with the mass or a problem with anything the church was doing liturgically. It was a crisis in catechesis. Um, 
it was uh, the fact that the people weren't educated mm. they didn't know what was going on and so they didn't appreciate it um, spot on the importance of formation and evangelization of course T tell us um, um phil that you when i first met you you were involved in Cradio. how did you end up um getting involved as a volunteer at Cradio? yeah so um i started you know visiting Cradio because i had a friend who worked there uh john jagertis and he um sort of invited me to uh, you know see if i was interested in learning how to edit podcasts and um you know in high school i'd done a little bit of video editing and it was it was interesting i enjoyed it and so i said sure and so he he sort of showed me the ropes and showed me how it's all done um and so i would you know come back and help uh help them out um, every now and then you know maybe once every couple of months um you know visiting the office and and editing a podcast here and there um but it was uh, when i had to do an internship my first internship for my degree that i um, i approached john and i was like you know do you think i can do an internship with cradio and so he put me in touch with the the manager at the time luke strayer who is now brother maximilian with the immaculata um and you know, he was like oh it's funny you're, you're calling me today because I'm retiring next week. Like, what do you mean you're retiring? You're, you're like 25. And he was like, oh, no, I'm joining the religious life and I'm giving Cradio to Perusia. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he said, you'll have to come and meet Charbel and see if they'll take you. And, um, and so I did, and here I am. I remember that day in North Sydney, yeah. the offices there in Cradio. And you asked, and I thought, what perfect timing, just as we were um, ready to, to sign papers and, and do the whole uh, transition. Um, what a blessing. So we inherited Philip Brooks as a result of the, um, the whole transfer uh, cradio within the, the Perusia family. And so we're blessed to have you. And I'm glad now that we're developing. I mean, all the experience you've learned over the years with the podcasting work is now developed into now the, the latest uh, project of ours the perusia podcast so yeah thank you phil for getting it going there it's quite exciting yeah this this perusia podcast um definitely is a fruit of um all those years of learning how to edit learning how to do the you know recording and uploading and you know uh processing of of the different you know podcasting things that go on um and this might be only your third episode that you featured and obviously you were in the the first interview with Charbel's testimony and then the second one with mine but you've had your hands on every episode you, you still do the edits of the episodes and bring them all together mm -hmm. in the different platforms so make it look nice yeah yeah no i i, I try to my uh, my background is definitely in audio so you know the all of the video processing is a little bit new to me but i'm getting my head around it now especially with the extra time i have being in isolation you know um but we put together this podcast we try to get at least one episode out a week and um yeah hopefully now i'll be starting to interview some guests as well we're looking forward to that we we hope i mean this is an opportunity for the people who have been watching and following the podcast to get to know the man who's been behind it all um you know editing and, and processing all this and uh, getting things prepared um but you are a, a co-host in your own right and we want to start seeing more of your face um with future podcasts so 
very much looking forward to those interviews uh, in the future. I look forward to hosting them. It's going to be great. Absolutely. Mark, should we um, have a little bit of fun here? I mean, I so. we see... I'd never see, say no to a bit of fun. <laughs> but we, we, we see um, Philip, um, you know, in, inside the office and he's got a bit of a sense of humour, as we know. Just a um, little one. I, I yeah. wouldn't say it's great, <laughs> but it's, it's and, developing, yeah. We're, we're teaching. That's right. Once you learn <laughs> his style, you know, you get it. But I think it might be nice to... Um, let, let's, let's really uh, share with the audience a bit about Phil's personality and, and, and maybe uh, what you... Any stories you have... Uh, uh, funny ones of Phil in the office. Um, just qu- a lot of quirkiness. What comes to mind is just his name. There's his name, that's right. That's right. He started with us about the spelling of his name. He's come in, he said, I'm Philip, and is that one L or two? That's two L's. And so it's like, okay, Philip with two L's, that's not unheard of. My dad would disapprove with Philip with one L, but that's okay. But then we learned later that Phil was also with two L's. And that really, now that really confused the Parisian staff, it must be said. And it became the ongoing joke that everything's got everything with one L has to have, now have two L's because Phil has got two L's. The funniest part about that is I think we've now actually convinced you, Phil, that Phil has only got one L, even if Philip has got two, haven't we? Hey, look, okay. I, uh, <laughs> I'd lived my whole life with people calling me Philip written and only, <laughs> only calling me Phil um, by, by ear. And so I'd never really, I don't know, it's, it never occurred to me that when you write Phil, you do it with one L. <laughs> it just looked weird. I've seen Philip written so many times with two L's. And but yeah, so it, yeah, I, I think I finally conceded that, yeah, Philip does have uh, one, two L's and Phil has, has one. That was a fairly recent concession. Yeah. You've been with us for, for yeah. quite some time now. It's taken a while to convince him. Absolutely. <laughs> it took a, about a good year. <laughs> <laughs> And oh, what's the right. Phil, learning a bit more just about you as a person, what sort of things are outside of Parisia world? What are your interests? What, what podcast do you listen to? What music do you listen to? Yeah, look, um, I do love classical music. You know, I enjoy, well, I study engineering. So um, obviously that's uh, one of my main interests. You know, I, I enjoy cars, my car in particular. Ooh. That makes me happy. Um, we, we know when you're coming, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. We can hear you coming. Those, yeah, it's a loud car. For such a small vehicle, it's very loud. Yeah, it goes all right. So old technology interests me very greatly. So I think, I think you know, where classical music and old technology collide, you get vinyl records. Um, there was a phase in my life where I was, very much into vinyl records, learning how they work. So I've got one set up downstairs that I that I enjoy listening to. Well, vinyl's coming back. It might it be is, a that is that back. right? Maybe Perusia needs to invest in vinyls. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, we've just transitioned from uh, cassettes to CDs and now we're transitioning from CDs to the digital world. Are we going to go full circle, come back to vinyls now? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah, tell us more about your um, siblings. How many siblings do you have? I have uh, one younger brother. His name yep. is Stephen. And um, yeah, he's in year eleven this year. I asked before what podcast. What what um, when you're tuning into a podcast, what what are you keen on? Yeah, so um, I think my my two favourite podcasts would be Pints with Aquinas by Matt Frad and Catholic Stuff You Should Know, um, which is you know a podcast run by four priests, um, and they have you know just great um, great banter with one another. They you know, their, their episodes are filled with 
um, you know, good, like Catholic stuff that you should know. Um, <laughs> as Shabelle, the name suggests. Did you notice, Shabelle, that he actually failed that test? He said that was his two favourites. I don't mind them being his second and his third favourite podcast. <laughs> so he's, he's failed That's the right. Perusia podcast test. Hey, I hey. think that goes without saying. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that's its own category, right? Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I spend you know days and days listening to Perusia podcasts far more than I get a chance to listen to all those I think other. It's podcasts. fair to say you've listened to more Perusia podcasts than anyone else in the world so far. So. Yep. Yeah, that needs to change. Okay, you people need to start. You know, going through our archives. We've got what this. This would be over ten episodes now out that you can sink your teeth into, and there's many more to come. Um, That's right. And some really yeah, guests as well. We, we've got Scott Hahn. You've, you've interviewed Steve Ray, Charbel. Um, we've interviewed a few of the the locals uh, here in Australia. A few of the the prominent uh, local Catholics. And yeah, there's some really good content up there. And we've got a big lineup to come. There's a lot of things in the works. So absolutely, um, register to the podcast or subscribe. Is that the word, Phil? Get, get my language right. Um, subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, subscribe to the podcast. I've recently put a button on the the Prusia podcast website. So if you go to prusiamedia.com forward slash podcast, you'll see a big button that says, um, you know, subscribe to the exclusive podcast mailing list or something. If you click on that button, you'll get an email every time we upload a new podcast. Um, and you might even get some, some extra insights uh, from the editor himself, uh, which, uh, which will, you know, just bring you on into the inside. You know, we it's might nice ask you, <laughs> yeah, we might ask you things like, you know, what sort of um, content do you want to see in the future um, in, in the Perusia podcast world? Um, so, yeah, you might have an, an inside chance into forming how the podcast evolves and develops. How so, can yeah. people um, listen to these podcasts? Can you tell us? Yeah, so um, the main hub is perusiamedia.com forward slash podcast. Mm. That's, that's where you're going to find everything all the time, always the most up-to-date. If you go there, you'll be able to see all the different platforms that you can subscribe to the podcast on. So this podcast, um, when we have the chance to, more often than not, it goes up as a video podcast as well on our YouTube channel. So you can subscribe there. You can also find this podcast in its audio form on um, so Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all your regular podcasting apps. I use a great one called Pocket Casts that I really enjoy. Um, so, yeah, anywhere that you can access a podcast, you can access the Perusia podcast. You have no excuse. <laughs> yeah, highly recommend uh, people do that. It, it doesn't cost anything. Subscribe. You get all the notifications. And please try catch up to all the previous shows we've done. Um, we're looking forward to more from Mark, who's interviewing He's got a bit of a lineup as well. We've got coming up Philip's guests. I've got quite a few, and we may combine sometimes. It might be Mark and Phil. It might be myself with Phil, myself with Mark, or just ourselves. So I'm very excited about uh, what's coming uh, in the horizon, especially now in the time when a lot of people are in lockdown. We can still provide lots of free content so people can listen to from home or anywhere they happen to be. So yeah, yeah. Thanks for all your service and your hard effort in this, Phil. Oh, it's good with fun. One L. It's Phil with one L. Phil with one L. Philip with two L's. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, anything else you want to add to this uh, discussion? I think um, we've introduced Phil. Okay. I think he's think? sufficiently introduced, but definitely yeah. looking forward to hearing more of him in the in the podcast world. So yeah, start um, building up building up your archive there, Phil, and and we release them as we go along. Yeah. Fantastic. Can't wait. Thanks for um. 
for being on, Phil, as the guest this time and, uh, and looking forward to seeing you as the host um, in the future podcasts. What do you think about being the guest, Phil? Oh, look, it's not as bad as I thought. Once you get rolling, <laughs> you know. I don't think we picked on you that much. No, I think we're okay. I wasn't expecting the, uh, the two L's controversy to, to okay. be made public, but that's okay. You know? <laughs> Just make sure you don't edit that bit out. Yeah, this okay. one needs to be approved before we release it. <laughs> got to be careful what he does with it, Shadow. <laughs> well, look, thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm, let's, um, let's hope and pray that uh, many people are touched by these podcasts and continue a great effort and work. And uh, it is my prayer that uh, this will inspire many people, not just in Australia, but around the world. Um, so that's, that's uh, thank you, Phil, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Mark. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome. All right. That's another Perusia podcast. I'm Charville, one of your three hosts, and that's another show. Until next time, God bless you.